0: Guys, as we move forward in our service, we're going to jump right into the Word of God. If you got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 tells us a story of this guy named Jesus. This guy who came to die for me and for you. This guy who came to be the example of how we should live. Uh, And and in Jesus' example, we're going to find some key things today for us to live out. As well. It says in Luke chapter 19 that Jesus entered Jericho. Jericho was a city in Israel, and he was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Most of you probably know tax collector was not a better thing in Israel than it is in America. Uh, in fact, it was actually a worse thing, believe it or not, in Israel than it is in America. They were considered traitors. They were they were considered friends of the enemy, so they were therefore enemies themselves. They were greedy. They were liars. They were thieves. Uh, the The Jewish people could not stand tax collectors. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Verse three. <coughs> Excuse me. It says he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. You ever had that problem? You can't see the screen at church because you're standing behind the person who's seven feet tall, right? Uh, We don't have a sycamore tree for you to climb in at City Church. I apologize. Uh, But that's what he's about to do. So so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And check this out, the reaction of the people. Man, what, I think this is so informative in how so often the religious, us the church, can respond to the loss. He says, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to the, be the guest of a sinner. Right? The, you, you can hear the audible gasp. <gasps> what is he doing? He's a rabbi. He's a teacher. He's supposed to be above that. What is he doing going to the house of a sinner? Verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, was a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. My whole life I've known Luke 19, 10. I've memorized that verse very, not my whole life, but very early in life. I never knew that was part of the Zacchaeus story. I never connected those before. But at the end of the Zacchaeus story, Jesus makes this declaration about himself, about his mission, why he even came into the world. He said the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the Jesus that we follow. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, I thank you that you are for sinners. God, I thank you that you are for the lost. God, I thank you that while I was still a sinner, Jesus Christ died for me, that you demonstrated your love for me in this. God, let that truth reawaken in our hearts today. Let it reawaken in our midst today. God, let it compel us to some action today that you love the lost. You care for the lost. You are after the lost. And you have commissioned us. You have given us responsibility to follow in your footsteps. And so today, God, help us to receive that commission and to walk it out. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. you've probably picked up between what Hunter said and what I've already said today, we're going to talk about how God is for the lost. God is for the lost. We're in the series we're calling For the People. Uh, Seeing in Scripture, who are these groups, who are these people that God is for? We saw at the beginning of the series that God is just for people in general. Right? That God loves People, and if he's for people, we should also be for people. We should also love people. We saw in week two that God is for this thing we're doing right now. He's for the church, he's for his body, gathering together, growing together, that, that the church exists for the exaltation of God, for the edification of the saints, for the evangelization of the world. That God is for those th- through things, and he's chosen his church. To accomplish those three goals. Last week we saw that God is for me. Not me personally. Troy Soudon, But me as an individual. You and he's for you in the same way. God is for us. God is for me. Next week we'll wrap up this series. And discover how God is for our city. God is for Olive Branch. God is for Nesbitt. God is for Horn Lake. God is for Hernando. God is for Memphis. Amen. God is for our city. He's for our cities, and we're going to discover that next week. I've been telling you for a few weeks, you probably already know, uh, but we're giving away a free t-shirt. We haven't had a t-shirt in like four years, Uh, so it's time to freshen up your wardrobe. So we got, that's right, we we got a new shirt for you, Uh, so be here next Sunday and make sure and get one of those as we wrap this series up. Um, But there's a tension in today's message as we talk about how God, is for the lost because we can immediately think of a whole lot of stuff that's in the world, a whole lot of stuff that's in the lost that God isn't for, right? God being for people doesn't mean God's for everything that people do. God being for your family doesn't mean God's for everything your family does. God being for the church doesn't mean that God is for everything that the church does, But he's still for us, right? He's on our side. He's for our best. And so because he's before our best, sometimes he has to actually be against some of the stuff that's in us, some of the stuff that we're doing because some of those things prevent us from walking in his very best. The reality is God ultimately is for God. And that can be a little bit awkward. That can be a little bit uncomfortable for us to wrap our brains around that truth and that statement. But we just said that God is for the church, right? And the church he created for three purposes. The first one is for his own glory, right? That, that he would be exalted, that he would be lifted up in the world. <coughs> Excuse me. So if God is for his own glory, that gets a little weird because we... No, if we're for our own gr- glory, that's pride, right? If we're for our own glory, that's, that's us looking for attention. And so for God to be for his glory, that can feel a little uncomfortable. But as we discovered a couple weeks ago, when you're the only one who has the ability to rescue, you have a responsibility to draw attention to yourself, When you're the only one who's there and someone is drowning, and you're the only one who can save them, you're the only one who can step in, you're the only one who can provide the life preserver, in fact, you are the life preserver, it would be selfish, it would be sinful, it would be wrong not to draw attention to yourself. And you see, God isn't just the only one who can save the lost, although he is certainly that. He has a responsibility to draw attention to himself so that the lost can see him. But the reality is, even for us, even that most of us in this room probably know Jesus. Most of us in this room have probably received his salvation. God has to continually draw our attention back to him because we get distracted, because we look at other things. We turn to other things for satisfaction, for fulfillment, for peace, and those things don't work. And so God today is compelling you. He's speaking to you. He's drawing you back to himself, not because God's got a big head, not because God is prideful and arrogant, but because God knows that you need what he's got. I need what he's got. We need not just what he has, we need who he is. And so he's drawing our attention back to himself. So that we can find what we need. You see, God is for God, but in God being for God, that means God is for people. That means God is for the lost. That means God is for us. God is for the church. Um, Now, the lost have a unique place in Scripture, uh, there, there's another tension we got to speak to very quickly uh, to, to make sure that we get to the other side of. Romans 5.10 puts it this way, talking about us before we knew Jesus. It says, we were God's enemies. Everybody say enemies. Yeah. This is your story. This is my story. If you've not received Jesus yet as your Lord and Savior, if you've not given him your life, the reality is this is your current status. As God's enemy. Colossians 1.21 puts it this way. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Philippians 3 puts it this way. For as I often told you before and now tell you again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now this is Paul writing this. And if you know Paul's story, Paul's somebody that we would legitimately say he was an enemy of the cross of Christ. Right? Right? He persecuted the church. He pursued putting Christians in prison and actually seeing Christians inflicted with the death penalty. He was an enemy. And so we look at him and we're like, I never did that. I was never against God in the same way. But Paul has this understanding through the Holy Spirit that all of us in our separation from God were enemies of him. How so? We're enemies of his rule and reign because we want to rule and we want to reign. And so we set ourselves up as opponents of His kingdom. No, nope, not here, God. Not in my life. I'm not going to do what you have. I'm going to do what I want. So the reality is, the Word of God is clear today: the lost are enemies of God. It's not something I enjoy teaching. It's not something I get excited about. But it's the truth. Of the Word of God. And we must understand this truth if we're going to be the blessing to the lost that God has called us to be. The Word of God is clear the lost are enemies of God. However, and here's the good news aren't you glad there's always good news? There's some good news today, church. The good news is this the Word never says that God is an enemy of the lost. Time and time again, the Word of God teaches us that, en- that the lost are enemies of God. But it never teaches us that God is an enemy of the lost. What in the world does that possibly mean? Let's go back to Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Zacchaeus is a sinner. He's lost. He's not just a sinner. He's a big sinner, right? Like, like all of us are sinners, but he falls in one of those categories of like the major sinners. He's one of those categories that, that, that if he was in modern day America, uh, he's one of those that, that we blast on Facebook. Well, he's one of those blah, blah, blah. Those stinking tax collectors are always doing, right? Like if that was a thing or if Facebook was a thing 2,000 years ago, that's how... It would have been, he would have been labeled, he would have been cast down. Many Christians would have talked very negatively about him. He was a major, major sinner. He was a sinner that the Jews had identified as their enemy. This guy is a problem. His type are a scourge upon humanity. They're an embarrassment to our kind. In Luke 19, 7, says this, as Jesus engages this man, as he embraces relationship with this man, says all the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. How can you even be around those people? How can you even talk to those people? I deleted them off of Facebook years ago, right? I don't even have any of them in my feed anymore, and you're going to go hang out at his house? What is wrong with you, Jesus? You see, the reality is there's not something wrong with Jesus. There's something wrong with us. Something wrong with our reaction. Verse 10 wraps it up and says that Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save the lost. You see, the Word never says that God is an enemy of the lost. Here's what the Word of God teaches us. Jesus teaches us when it comes to to enemies. This is the heart of the one that we follow, the one that we serve. He says, you have heard it was said, Matthew 5, 43, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Everybody say, love your enemies. Amen. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He doesn't just make the command. Look at how he wraps it up. That you may be children Of your Father in heaven. No, I don't think he's making this a condition for salvation. I think what he's saying is that when we love our enemies and we pray for those who persecute us, we're like Daddy. Because this is who he is. You see, the lost are enemies of God, but God is not an enemy of the lost. How does God treat his enemies? He loves his enemies, he pursues his enemies, he sends his son to die for his enemies. This is how he feels towards loss. Luke 6 puts it this way. Jesus is talking. Excuse me. He says, if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners led to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them. So now he says not just to love them, so it's not just a heart issue. Now he says, I want you to put some action into it. Do good to them. I don't want you to just have positive feelings about them. I want you to have positive actions towards them. Love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. Anybody want a great reward? Anybody want God to be proud? I do. He says, then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. Once again, he says, when you love your enemies, when you're there for those who are against you, you're reflecting the heart of the Father. You're becoming like Him. You're embracing your role, your identity as His daughter, as His son. Because Why? It says, because He is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Aren't you glad God is kind to the ungrateful? Aren't you glad God is kind to the wicked? It says, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. You see, the lost are enemies of God, but God is not an enemy of the lost. God is for the lost. God cares for the lost. In fact, God is so for the lost that he instructs his children to be for the lost. If we're going to be his people, if we're going to be his kids, if we're going to be his sons, and we're going to be his daughters, then we're going to have to be for the lost. We're going to have to be for those who are enemies of God. (coughs) Excuse me. Can we be real honest this morning, church? I, I, I just kind of like to roll with honesty. It's kind of like my default mode up here. Can we be real honest? The church in America, we are not good at this. We are not good at responding well to the lost. This is not something that we have accomplished well. This is something there. there's some lack, there's some gap between where God is calling us to be and where most of us settle. And so today, our goal is for a heart transplant, that we would get rid of our sinful heart towards the lost and receive God's pure heart towards the lost, that he would put his heart in us. What I want to do this morning is very quickly, I want to show you three wrong responses we often have as Christians to the lost. Three wrong responses that as Christians we frequently have towards the lost. And, and many of us go through different seasons and maybe you can see different times in life where you've been off in one of these areas. Maybe you see today one of these areas that you're more drawn to than the others in this current season. But I believe we miss it in these three major ways. There may be others, but certainly in these three major ways. First one is this, is we often turn against the lost. <coughs> we often turn against the lost we treat people like the enemy and it's easy to understand how we get here (coughs) because we don't ever like anybody who doesn't like our daddy right like we're, we're territorial we're tribal it's just the way we are from the beginning man if somebody picks somebody's against us somebody's against our family then we're against them we pick teams. We pick sides. And so when somebody's standing for something that, that defames God, when somebody's for something that steals his glory, that doesn't represent him well, then we stand against that person. We usually do this in groups. Thank you very much. Give it up for Kristen being clutch. All right. Here's, here's how this usually comes out of our mouths. We do this in groups, and we pick a label that we put on them. We might call them liberals. We might call them pro-choice. We might call them homosexual advocates. We might call them drug addicts. We might call them Muslims. We might call them Congress. We might call them Hollywood. But we call them them. And we call them something, and we label, and we separate, and then we put the label on, and then we talk down towards. Instead of treating people as people, instead of recognizing that people are not the enemy, see, Ephesians chapter 6 puts it this way. Ephesians 6 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not. They are not the problem that politician that you can't stand is not the problem that group that votes a certain way is not the problem right they this is this is the word of god says our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms And so what we do is we turn against people, we turn against the lost, and we try to justify it with righteous indignation. Man, we're standing for the truth, and I believe there is righteous indignation, but I believe oftentimes we have an unrighteous response in our righteous indignation. People ain't the problem. People aren't the enemy. God is for people. God is for the lost. I'm not saying God's for everything every one of those groups do, although can I say this too? He's not for everything that that the church does. He's not for everything that conservatives do. He's not for everything that pro-life people do, right? Like, I'm pro-life. I'm not saying that, that each is equal. There is a right and there is a wrong, and truth is important, but people are not the problem. Sin is the problem. The enemy is the problem. And we sit here and we pick fights with people that aren't the problem. And if you're fighting the wrong enemy, you're never going to win the battle. You'll just drive yourself crazy. You'll misrepresent Christ in the process. I already had water, but thank you. You're good. I appreciate it. You guys are good looking out. Thank you very much. People, everybody looking out for me today. Y'all are awesome. People aren't the problem. And so often we turn against the lost and we treat the lost like they're the problem, like they're the enemy. I'm not saying there's never a time to take a stand for truth. I'm not saying there's never a time for us to stand up for what we believe in. There absolutely is. But when we take that stand, we take the stand for what truth is in love to people. Jesus came from the Father full of truth and full of grace. And if we're not extending grace in that stand, then it's not really truth. The reverse is also true. If we're not extending truth in that stand, then it's not really grace. we got to have both. But so often we treat people like the enemy, and I believe when we do, God grimaces. I believe God hurts because people are not the enemy. He loves them. He pursues them. He is for them. So often we default to that Pharisee standpoint where they treat the same way they treated Zacchaeus is how we treat the lost. Well, God couldn't love them. God's not for them. Yes, he is. He's for them. He's not for everything they do. But he's for them. The second bad response we have to the lost is this. Oftentimes we turn our backs to the lost. So first, we turn against them in opposition and, and, and making them our enemies. Secondly, we just can turn our backs to them, right? We, we pursue God. We dive into the church, good things, things we should be a part of. We get into our little Christian bubble, and we just kind of forget that anybody who doesn't know Jesus even exists, right? We're, we're, we're not pursuing the lost. We're not praying for the lost. We're not engaging the lost. We don't even really know anybody who is lost anymore, Because we got sucked up into our little Christian bubble. And the Bible tells us to be in the world, but not of the world. (coughs) Now, there's a danger on this point I want to make sure I address. Sometimes there are specific lost people you are going to have to turn your back to. Because there are specific lost people who are going to suck you right back to that place that you used to be. Who are going to take you away from what God is. So there is a time to separate from old friends to cut off old relationships, to say, not in, not in hate, not in anger, but you know what, I, I, can't, I can't keep going into this situation. I can't, I can't keep a part of this conversation. I can't do this. So I'm not saying there's never a time to turn, turn your back to someone who is lost, but we are never called to turn our backs to the lost in general. Does that make sense? We got to continue reengaging the lost. And, and maybe there's a certain group, a certain temptation, a certain type of lost person that, that, that ain't healthy for me. And so you may need to wait until you get to a place where you're stronger in your faith where you can re-engage that. And that might be a long time. But there are lost people who are for you. There are lost people you are called to. And so we can't just ignore the lost. We can't just pretend they're not there. That's not who God is. God is constantly aware of the lost, constantly pursuing the lost, constantly chasing the lost, and he sends us to do the same thing. So the first mistake we make is we turn against the lost. The second mistake we make is we turn our backs to the lost. The third mistake we make is this. We just turn back into the lost. I don't mean we actually lose our salvation and become lost again. But I mean, we, we start surrounding ourselves by the lost, and instead of us making an impact on the way they live, instead of us pointing them to Christ, we just kind of default back to who they are. We, we just kind of start looking a little bit more like the lost, start talking a little bit more like the lost, start not really having any impact. You see, God has called us, Jesus has told us, we are the light of the world. we just saying it, right? We will shine where darkness falls. That's what the church is called to do, but if we go into darkness and our light starts to dim, what's the impact in that? The world needs some light. The world doesn't need us to be like them. The lost don't need another lost person in their life. They don't need another person who lives like them in their life. They got plenty of people who are confused, who are defeated, who are destroyed, who are discouraged, they're surrounded by that. They need something different. And so when we go around the lost and we just start to become back like the lost and we talk the same way they talk, we act the same way they act, we live the same way they live, we are cheating them out of an opportunity to see Jesus. See, we can't turn against the lost and we can't turn our backs to the lost, but we can't turn into the lost either. And so often we make one of those three mistakes. So often when it comes to the loss, we fall into one of these three categories. And I, and I dare say most of us today can find ourselves somewhere in that spectrum. I mean, I, I struggle with this one. So maybe for different groups. Maybe, maybe you default to different ways depending on which group you're around. And for some, you turn against, and some you turn your back to, and, and some you turn into. But none of those are Jesus. None of those are what we are called to be. So what's the solution? The solution is this, church. We must turn our hearts fully to God. You see, the reason why we can fall back into looking like the lost when we're around the lost is because we're not really that close to God ourselves to begin with. When we're full of the Holy Spirit, when we're prayed up, when we're in His presence, when He is evident in our lives, we're going to shine. But when we're just living and defaulting to mediocre Christianity, when we're defaulting to maybe showing up to church, maybe even serving, but man, there's no real relationship with God outside of when the church doors are open, we're not going to have any impact on the lost. They're they're not going to see anything in us that they need, that they want. They might find a little sliver, a little glimmer somewhere, but man, God's got so much more for them, and he's placed it in you. He's placed it in me, but we got to shine. So the solution is we got to give our hearts fully to God. I thought I was gonna tell you today we got to give our hearts to the lost, we gotta pursue the lost. We do. But the way we do that is we fall back in love with Jesus. Because the more we become like Him, the more we center on who He is, the more we're gonna act the way He acted. What was Jesus' mission? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. But if we go out and try to seek and save that which was lost apart from Jesus, we're gonna fail. See, God sent Jesus to seek and to save the lost. He didn't send me to seek and to save the lost. He sent me to be like Jesus. So I got to tap into Jesus. I got to look to Jesus. I got to know Jesus. I got to feast on Jesus. I got to be with Jesus because there's nothing in me except Jesus that the lost needs. The only thing that I have to offer the lost is the Jesus inside of me. The only thing that you have to offer the lost is the Jesus inside of you. So the question is today, church, how much Jesus is in you? Well, I'm got i saved. Praise God. Man, that's a beautiful thing. I celebrate that. That's a wonderful thing. That's an amazing thing. That's a supernatural thing. But man, I believe God wants more for you than just that. And I believe the world needs more from you than just that. We gotta know Jesus. We gotta fall in love with Jesus. We gotta celebrate and embrace Jesus because here's the truth, church. When God has my heart, so will the things that have God's heart. When God has my heart, you know what else will have my heart? The stuff that has God's heart. You see, when God captures my heart, He gives me His heart. But I gotta let Him capture it. Not just save me, Man, I gotta let him have my heart. God, I want more of you. Do you want more of God in your life today? Do you want more of his presence? Do you want more of his power? Do you want more of his spirit? Do you want more of his love? Do you want more of his grace? Because if all we do is just settle for the same default, mediocre level that we've been at, we're not gonna accomplish anything in this generation. When a group of people desperately fall in love with Jesus, when a room this size says, I'm going after Jesus with everything I got. I'm going to give him everything. And yeah, I'm going to trip. And sometimes I'm going to fall. And I'm not always going to get it right. But I'm chasing after who he is. That's when we get to make an impact in a generation. That's when a city starts to change. That's when the laws start becoming found. That's when those in darkness start to see light. That's when a change is made. solution today church is we got to fall in love with Jesus all over again and I'm not talking about like an emotional three minute prayer at the end of service and then let's go hit Chili's and go back to life I'm talking about we got to start evaluating our heart status, evaluating how we spend our time, evaluating what our, our habits, our disciplines of being a believer look like. What does my time in the Word look like? What does my prayer life look like? What does what my time serving look like? What does my giving look like? What does my worship look like? What do these things look like that God's called me to? And if we see some lack, it's time to step it up, because I don't know when Jesus is coming back. But I know we ain't going to be here forever, church. One way or the other, we're leaving this earth. We're leaving in a box or we're leaving in the air, but we're leaving this earth. There is a shelf life on our opportunity. And there's a shelf life on every lost person you know. There is only so much time for us to point them to Jesus. We got to fall in love with Jesus, church. We gotta fall in love with Jesus. It's urgent. It's now. We can't keep putting it off. We can't keep waiting until the next time. We can't keep waiting until till my situation changes, till I get more time on my calendar. We can't keep waiting until there's a better series or a better church or a better worship song. We gotta quit waiting and we gotta fall in love with Jesus now. Now. Today. Fall in love with them all over again. When he has your heart, he's going to give you his. And that's when we're going to go after the lost. We're not going to turn against them. We're not going to turn our backs to them. And we're not going to turn back into them. That's when we're going to be salt. And that's when we're going to be light. When we're like Jesus. And only when we are like Jesus. Will you pray with me, church? Father God, I thank you so much for these... Incredible people who love you, who want the things that you want. God, I know deep in our hearts, every one of us wants this. Every one of us wants to make an impact for eternity, God. Every one of us wants to glorify you in the greatest possible way. So today, God, I ask that we would see Jesus clearly. That we would see him high and lifted up. We would see him in his power. We would see him in his love. We would see him in his grace. And we would want everything that is in him. God, cause us to fall in love with your son all over again. God, that we could be like him. That we would get a heart transplant today. That you would give us your heart for the lost. God, forgive us for ways that we have turned against people who don't know you. God, forgive us for ways we have turned our backs on those who don't know you that you've called us to god forgive us for ways where we've turned into those who don't know you we've allowed them to affect our lifestyle instead of leaning into who you are god forgive us today fill us with your holy spirit make us like jesus that we might reach the lost you've called us to we thank you for all you're going to do in jesus name